Welcome to the final episode of season 8 of Delving Into Dance, the final season of 2018 going on 2019. 2018 was an epic year with the audience expanding even more with the launch of the important research report Turning Point into Gender Equality in Australian Dance and over 900 minutes of audio content delivered to your listening ears with interviews from the likes of Beck Reed, David McAllister, Damien Gillet, Judith Mackerel, Harper Walters, Luke George, Philip Adams and many more. Delving Into Dance was also pleased to be listed in the top 15 dance podcasts in the world and was the only independent dance podcast of its kind. We managed to raise $2,200 to get some of the interviews transcribed. This project is designed to make the rich archive available to deaf audiences. We need to raise an additional $800 to finish this access project. So if you want to support Delving Into Dance in other ways, please go onto the website and contribute. 2019 is going to continue and we have many exciting interviews and other projects lined up. So do stay tuned. But moving on to today's episode, today's episode is with dance maker, writer, activist, and all-round incredible individual, Amrita Heppi. And I started by asking, where did dance start? Uh, I think, first off, the very regular child dancing um, and enjoying dancing in the living room and had a very encouraging mother. I also had a little bit of, um, I guess, uh, exposure to traditional dance um, through Māori dancing, but also too through going to corroboree and engaging in those practices. And then there was also to my my one of my mother's friends from around uh, town uh, was a contact improvisation teacher. So she'd done a lot of work with Steve Paxton in New York and her she started teaching a, a class for four-year-olds which I think about that now teaching a contact improvisation class for four-year-olds and I'm like I don't know if I could do that that'd be really hard so I started doing that with her and I mean I loved it and then this all of these things led into um I guess, pursuing dance in school and I didn't, I kind of, the first dance work that I made was called the um, Emu Lizard Spirit Michael Jackson and so it was kind of a culmination as a five-year-old of me making, taking all of these dances from Corroboree and from Kapahaka and then a little bit of contact and then Michael Jackson, because I knew that I liked him and making this dance in, I think my mother still has the video, but it was, I guess in that way, it's almost like a perfect culmination for the later part of my practice, which is I wanted to be um, a backup dancer. And so, and I really just, I loved film clips and I, we'd moved to the Northern Beaches. I was born in Townsville and I just, it was a great exposure to other black and brown bodies. And so I started watching those video clips and then I would also go to the community centre in town and I would look into the window and watch people dancing in there and then I would kind of walk away and try and imitate it. So they were doing ballet and they were doing different 
uh, a jazz and contemporary. And so I'd watch and then run and then try and do the thing. And then the teacher would come out and be like, do you want to join in? And I was like, no, I don't want to join in. And then um, she found my mom in town and uh, uh, she was like, your daughter comes and dances at my at the community centre. And mum was like, is this true? And I was like, no. And then she ended up enrolling me in dance and it was great. And so that was about eight or nine. And then just kind of took off from there. Um, and it was my first job was as a teacher's aide. And so that gave me some money and some independence, but it also too went to pay for my fees. I was a bit scared to ask mum to do dance because I thought that it would be expensive and it was. So my teacher really helped in that um, regard, Miss Ariana. And then uh, I just kept dancing through high school. I liked everything about it. I liked the practice of it. I liked finding the song. I liked the fact that when I was making up dances with my friends that there was like a sense of something that I knew how to do. Um, yeah, I liked the costumes. I liked the escapism of it. I liked everything about it. Um, and so, and then, but then it kind of changed. I started, I remember kind of developing in my body a bit more around about the age of like, you know, that shift between like 15 to, or even actually as young as like 12 and things really start to shift and things really start to change in your body. And I just remember also too, that kind of thing where everyone was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to be a dancer. And everyone was like, and what else? And I was like, that's it. And (laughs) so, uh, And then I stopped, I kind of, I finished high school and stopped dancing for a little while and then started working at a community dance school again at around about the age of 19 and then was like, I don't want to study whatever I'm studying at university. I want to do this. And I was working at this great dance school in Surrey Hills that did a lot of world dance styles and styles that, you know, you talk to a lot of teenagers or you talk to a lot of people and they're like, ah. yeah, I've done everything. I've done like jazz, tap, ballet, hip hop. I've even done Bollywood. I've done everything. Yeah. And so it was like great to be exposed to styles like Argentinian tango, like flipping, like the differences between Kahiko dancing from Samoa and then Hawaiian hula and then all these dances from the Pacific and being able to have access to teachers like that and be able to have discussions with people like that that were teaching different cultural dance styles. And I think it made me realise, I mean, I'd I'd kept up a practice in terms of engaging with my community in dancing, going to Yarbin and and going to different cultural dance practices that I'd never really had considered a part of of dance. And so then I was like, fuck this, I'm going to go and study at university and study at NASDAQ. And that's kind of the pathway into my dancing. Is that really interesting point where you talk about, you know, People are taught jazz, tap, ballet, you know, contemporary. And you come out and and a lot of people kind of talk about having that toolkit. But as you say, yes. it excludes so many other ways of moving and using a body and telling story. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I've gotten a job, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. In what way? Well, 
not like one of the sole reasons, like, but I think in terms of making dance or being in a tasking situation, it's helped to not always speak exactly the same language as everybody. You know, it's helped if, if language is information and information is greater understanding, then it means that I was speaking, you know, English, but I was also speaking Tareo and I was also speaking different, I guess, different First Nations languages um, through the Pacific. And so that was, that's nice because it's just more information to be able to share. Yeah, I recently interviewed Tom Spradley and he was talking about finding Bhutto and actually how that's changed the way he's considered what he's been taught and I use the word body baggage in the interview, but kind of that sense of like relearning that there's other ways of inhabiting a body and moving and dancing and how that can facilitate his practice in, you know, in the types of companies and spaces that he's working in now. Totally. In ways that are more sustainable, I feel, especially knowing Thomas a little bit, you know, the strain to like, the strain to continue to find, I guess, a pleasure in it, but also too, to be able to take care of yourself, but also too, to move a little bit slower and yeah, to keep, I guess it's like to sustain your own, yeah, own, your own self-interest in the craft. Hmm. So where you've kind of landed in your kind of practice, which is so diverse and I'm sure we'll get to a lot of that. How would you describe I guess your dance practice and what you do and what you interrogate and what you're interested in. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, as a dancer, I'm interested in finding at the moment in finding dualities between objects, persons, place, but also two in projections. So when I say projections, I mean how it is that we're viewing different bodies and how it is that when a body comes onto stage, how we might see it and our different, you know, our different already always listening when it comes to viewing a person. But also too then maybe the dualities of how it is that we present something and how then it is appearing in the theatre, so the functions of a theatre and the social functions that that uh, entails. And so I'm also interested in a maker in... I guess, the dilemma of authenticity. But when I say that, I mean, like, what's real and what's really real and how do we negotiate what the realest of the real is and how do we tell these stories? And and I guess also, too, power. So these are the things that I like to look at in my practice at the moment as a dancer. I think that my physical process and uh, my way of moving is very influenced by... I uh, think training at Naysda and then also too, I can't ignore, you know, going to my small coastal towns dance school. I think it's also influenced by uh, Horton Technique, which was done at Alvinelli every day where I also studied. But then also too, like, I guess meeting people and being able to have access as a young person to go to places like the Judson Church and to see performances like that. I didn't realize how much of an influence seeing someone like Deborah Hayes was or Julianne Long when I was going to Macquarie University. Um, and so these are part of, I guess, the physical imprints. Also, too, watching people like Vicky Van Hoot growing up. But I think um, 
while I feel like she's quite influenced, and I don't want to speak on her behalf, but she's quite influenced by Torres Strait Island dancing. For me, it was more the influence of different dancers from the Pacific. Um, so, yeah, that would be um, a kind of a, uh, a small sh- snapshot of my practice right now at the moment, what I'm interested in. And some of your work, I mean, we are talking before we started recording about a sense of hierarchy in dance and certain dance practices, I guess, get an audience and others are kind of seen as more um, to the sides or to the margins. And some of your work kind of has really bridged that gap in helping people access their movement body Mm. and Uh to talk through movement or just to even feel back in their body. Can you talk Mm. about some of that work? Because I think that's really fascinating. (laughs) So I, I, when I came back from studying New York, I was really broke and uh, a friend of mine who owned a nightclub in Sydney called Good God and actually it was Adam Lewis who was doing the bookings at the time and he suggested, oh, you know, on a Wednesday night we've got a spot free and maybe you could teach a dance class. And I was like, that sounds dumb. Why would I want to teach a dance class in a nightclub? I'll teach it in a dance studio. And then I realised, I was like, no, I sound really dumb. Why wouldn't I want to teach a dance class in a nightclub? And so we decided to do a Beyonce dance class in Good God. And then we sold it out really, really quickly. So it sold out. I think we sold like 50 tickets in like like a few, the space of a few hours. And then we sold another 50 and another 50. And it was, so it was like 150. And I was like, I don't know if I can even do this. And so then I did it and I was like, wow, people really want to dance and they really like dancing. Uh, it was funny. It was almost like because there was like the premise or like people knew what they were signing themselves up for. They were like, okay, yeah, Beyonce, I've seen her. I know how she moves. And then it was funny because I also did the door at the dance classes and people would be like, I can't dance, I really can't dance, and la, 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 like the millions of excuses that people, adults, continue to tell themselves as they're walking in, even if they've done dance as a child. Or they'll say, I used to do dance as a child and I don't do it anymore. And so I was like, fuck, there's a really ripe conversation in this. The the idea of of what it is that people... And I know that a lot of contemporary choreographers have looked at this or just choreographers in general, like what people consider to be dance and or how they can move their body and, and what dance is and, and who's doing it and who's allowed to do it and what part of the body is being looked at and how, how we might talk or move to that. And so it ended up kind of almost like I was like, I also realized that you could talk to people about anything in the dance class. So I could do like an acknowledgement of country. I could talk about protests. I could talk about political ideas. I could talk about Beyonce. I could talk about the intersections of Beyonce with politics. It was, it was like a really, it was a really ripe space to have a discussion while continuing to move. And so, yeah, that's kind of where those conversations started around, I guess, dance and finding other people finding their, their ways of dancing and I guess pop culture was a huge the hugest tool because it was all of my marketing for the thing so it was like you know you could say we're gonna learn Justin Bieber's sorry 
And then you could also talk about contemporary dance and the fact that I was doing a show at Next Wave. And people would come. And people would, from this experience of being in the nightclub, would then be more interested in coming to see a dance show or coming to see other things that I was doing. And I remember then too, like, I remember this one, I won't say her name on here, but I remember someone saying to me, you know, there was a couple of people that were kind of in contemporary practice, and this is, you know, five years ago or six or seven, and they were like, oh, you know, you just don't want to get known as the person, as that dancer that teaches, you know, Beyonce dance classes, or it's just not real dancing, or you don't do real dancing, or da-da-da-da-da. And it was like, it, that was also a funny conversation because I was like, what, what do you deem real dancing? So I was having these conversations about dancing with people that were coming to my class and having a conversation with other people that were in dance while I was working and making, you know, contemporary, contemporary dance performance work who were like, oh, I can't believe you. So it's so, it's so generous of you to do those classes for people. It's, I don't know how it will fare for your practice though. And it's like been one of the best things that I could have done for my practice because what's the point if you're only talking to the same people over and over again? And, 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 and so that was that. And this led into other projects or other ways of approaching teaching dance, but beyond teaching other ways of even myself thinking about how I was making dance. So not that I was necessarily always using vehicles of pop culture, but it made me think about how I was being watched or how I was watching other people. It definitely gave me an interest in video and wanting to construct choreography for video. And I think this was subconsciously something that I've been interested in since I was probably about 13 years old, which is then transferred into my practice now. But I think having such a public-facing practice in that way meant that I got to talk to different people and different audiences that, yeah, that, that, that weren't the norm necessarily. Because when you put on a piece of music, kids will automatically start dancing, like young kids. They kind of like start moving a body and we kind of like... Yeah, yeah, like, if they like it. Otherwise they will also tell you, I don't like this song. I've been working with kids all week. <laughs> but there is that sense of like it's the, the desire to move becomes so real. Yeah, real. yeah. As we get older, we kind of place all these parameters on you know, what is appropriate ways of moving and what's not appropriate ways of moving within space and with other people. And so to get to that point and go, I can't dance. And I've said that like so many times as well. Like I can do a certain type of dance, but it's, you know, it's not what other people would consider like dance. Or or is it, or is it how you're being watchable or unwatchable or, you know, these, these kinds of things. Well, I, yeah, I mean, when I dance, people think generally I'm on some sort of substance and I'm possibly not. It's just that I'm actually, like, let loose and people are like, whoa. And it's like, well, you just take the piss. Like, you just... And it makes me actually think of um, your TED Talk, which was, um, what was it? To be a good dancer, um, don't give a fuck. I didn't choose this title. Yeah, but it is... choose this title at all. I hate it. I'm like, you you have to give a fuck. I would have titled it 
maybe like, I don't know, talking dance from like Sydney nightclubs to, uh, to um, Andrew Russell's podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know. But it, 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 the title worked. So, <laughs> but, but but it was. I mean, essentially, what you were talking about was connecting with your body and, like, kind of letting go a bit, you know. Yeah. You know. Yeah, which I feel like you know, dancers especially that, and, and dancers that are a lot of the dancers that I encounter, they get up every day. They're like. You know, we're in a studio and they're given a task and then they go away and they make this thing and then they get up every day and then they show the task and they're or they're improvising or they're and I mean I know that it's part of the conditioning of doing something and I know that it's not always necessarily brave because this is what they're trained to do. But it is a different type of like I guess it's not like sharing a report. Like it's a di- I, I guess it's like it's another way of just getting it out there. And I was like, if people maybe could take this function of working through things or, yeah, working through the task at hand and just getting up and presenting, it would maybe make things a little bit easier. But I guess there's a few working processes there. Can we talk about um, your work, A Call to Dance, and how that works with people? And obviously you're working on it at the moment. So A Call to Dance came out of, I guess... A Call to Dance came from me thinking about, uh, I guess, the commodification of dance and it was almost like a little bit of like thinking about, I guess, cultural boundaries in dance, so who can dance what, you know, from men's to women's business, but also too I had a lot of people saying to me like, I wish I could do a dance about that, like that would be so nice if I had like a, you know, like I just, I can't do that, I can't, that's just not my like, cultural back or I wish I had a cultural heritage like that they gave me something to dance about I'm just not I just can't I'm just I'm just and I was like okay and then so that's kind of where a call to dance came from and then I was looking at processes around like acknowledgement of country and how we I guess talk about place or story in dance but then also too like thinking about people that have certain styles in dance and also to how we're talking about dance with people, how people perceive that dance is made. Uh, And so I guess it was like on one part it's the idea around demystifying some things in dance and then on the other part it was like talking to people about an experience or a story or something that might be important to them at that point in time. So... It's usually a one-on-one session in a private space and we'll have a conversation about this. I have a few questions that I usually lead with, but then we'll go into others. Um, I made the work and then premiered it at Urimboy and then it will be in London at Origins Festival, but also too at Theatre Foreman in Hanover and then at Nelson Festival in New Zealand. And uh, I think that's it for this year. And then I'm also at Art Centre Melbourne and then at Pika in May as well. And the difference this time as I'm doing it is that I'm doing it with um, eight to 17-year-olds. And so that is another whole conversation because I've noticed 
with some of the adults that I've done it with, sometimes it turns into a therapy session. Sometimes it'll turn into, you know, and it's really talking. We really get into a lot of talking around like, you know, why would anybody make up a dance? Like dance is stupid or I don't feel good dancing. And I'm like, I'm not here to change your mind on it, but I do have to perform it at the end. So we should maybe make something, even if it is that the takeaway on your movement is dance is stupid. So how would you dance that? (laughs) But, um, so at the end of the, every day I do a short performance of the archived movements that I'm given. And then at the end of the residency, I put all of those movements together and I create a dance that's given back to the place that it was made in. And so it always looks very different and it's always um, a lot of conversation. But, yeah, doing it with eight-year-olds, they really have a – I mean, the most interesting thing is the already the preconditioning that a lot of them from dance school have and then the, like, they're like they want to do – they're already constructing things around like what looks good or what's impressive or how, what dance is. But then there's also the flip side of kids that have never done dance who are just like, I okay, this is what we're doing. We're listening to The Little Mermaid because that's what's important to me and I need you to sit down and I'm going to dance. And when I point at you, then you dance and then I'll dance and then you dance. And I'm like, that sounds like a great choreographic score. So, okay, shall I press play? And... Um, but it's, and then there's also interesting conversations too around like, I've had one kid who was like, I was like, so tell me about your friends, about your community. And he was like, I don't have any friends. And I was like, what about your, your people that you do dance with? And he was like, no, I don't have any friends either. So I'd like to be able to do a dance so that when I make friends that we could maybe, we could do it together. That's like a nine-year-old. And then other dances, other times when I've done it, and I've done it with, especially I did it with a group of Indigenous girls, and when I was like, what's important to you? And every one of them spoke about responsibility. They were like, this is a responsibility of culture. And I was like, and what's culture? And they were like, well, it's like everything. It's like, you know, like language and like dances. It's like culture. And I was like, okay. And what are you going to contribute to culture? They were like, which is like looking after it and stuff. And so there's always also to this, like what kids feel responsible for. And then also to what adults feel responsible for, um, brings up lots of conversations. And then it's interesting to see it in a dance. I sometimes don't know what's more interesting, the different array of dances or the conversations that people are having around dance. Hmm. And cause that one-on-one conversation I've done, kind of a lot of research interviews where you're kind of delving into uh, dance well (laughs) delving into dance is kind of I guess the conversation is somewhat more public whereas some of these conversations have been around you know sexual health or HIV or things like that and you're kind of holding a space or drug use and you're holding a space and having incredibly intimate conversations where people feel completely anonymous anonymous can tell you everything and there's something so amazing about those moments that can never then be taken out of that space kind of. Yeah. And even if I have, even if I'm performing them, it then still just remains like a conversation that I have with a person and maybe it's not the most compelling uh, performance always, but I think that there is something about like 
I think that I think there's something to be said too about the ability to have a conversation and move with someone, and the fact that it might only be for 50 people, but like that's I mean the the maybe the quality of it is something that's uh, important as well. I mean I've never had anybody leave the session and be like, oh I regretted that. I, I, that was a waste of my time. That's never happened. And maybe that's going to happen in the future. But, um, and it's also too, like people, a lot of the time will come into this. So we did it in a train station. It's always in a private space. I think that makes more sense. It wouldn't, it wouldn't work if you were doing it in a very public space. Um, and people will come in and be like, I'm not performing it like that last person did, just so you know. And I was like, that's fine. They always end up performing it. Never had one person that's come out and been like, I'm, I'm not doing it. They're like, oh, it's just, oh, it's just like this thing about, you know, my mother and how she treated me. And then we put this in here about that rope that was like, and it, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a really beautiful. And I think actually too, with the final dance, there's usually kind of, cause sometimes in there we'll watch video clips and sometimes in there, people will share different parts of the conversation that they want to have said out loud or they'll want something projected. Um, and so it kind of then makes a little map of, in the maison scene of the piece, it then kind of adds to maybe what the conversation was about. And other stuff is just very private and that's okay too. And dance is kind of private. You know, even when you're like, no, kind of what is happening, you're like, what's happening? You know, it's funny when we're, we're talking about like expression, right? We're like, okay, so you were like expressing this thing and it's like, that's not what I was thinking, but you know. In the way other yeah. people read it. Yeah, yeah. A read is just a read, really. Sometimes the read can be totally off. And sometimes the read is right of what's coming out, but it might not be what's kind of happening internally or in the person's conversation. Yeah, right. Mm. Your work is kind of uh, also includes like writing, activism, um, oh. and these other spaces and using other tools to have, I guess, important and difficult conversations. How do they inform, how do they, uh, I guess, how does dance inform those practices and how does, you know, those practices feed back into your dance, I guess? Well... Are they linked? Maybe they're not. Oh, I think like the right, like writing has always been like, I think that writing has always helped. I mean, it's not something that I'm trying to do in terms of prose, but more to be like direct about what I'm trying to talk about, uh, which then helps, can sometimes help to expand on something or can sometimes help me to like locate where it is that I want to go physically. Uh, in terms of activism, I mean, I think that, I think I was, I got the role like act for, of being an activist that was kind of like, people were like, oh, you're an activist. And I was like, I don't think so. I think I'm an advocate. And I think they were like, no, 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 no. You're all, you're organizing dance classes and the dance classes are the way that you're organizing a campaign. Cause I kind of was like, what's the role, like, what's the role of an, of an activist then? Like, you have to be like, what's, what's my campaign? And they were like, well, if you think about, you know, the fact, and I was like, I'm making money from those dance classes, but I really enjoy them. But like, are they, are they termed as activism? And they were like, well, yeah, because people are coming 
it's helping to your campaign is around the body and around shame but your campaign is also too around like I guess acknowledgement of First Nations people and so I, I mean I feel sometimes uneasy with the word activism but I definitely think that I can be an advocate in what I'm doing if I'm you know using using my platform but uh yeah, I think the other bits of the work, they all just feed into whatever it is that I need to do at the time, whatever work needs to be done. So whether that's, I mean, it's it's usually about the, I guess, what I want to make rather than necessarily the medium. And while the medium will always look like be body-centred, um, it sometimes can expand out into other things. It's funny, though. People have a real issue with that, too. It's like, well, not a real issue, but they're like, are you a dancer? Do you make art and sound? It's like, that. that's such a funny conversation. It, I think it goes back to our conversation about um, hegemony, you know? Mm. People like category, too. So it kind of makes yeah, sense of what people do and who they are and... Um, and that also relates so strongly to the different dance styles. And if you, yeah, you're yeah. doing too many, it's hard to make sense of what kind of dancer you might be. But I think, though, that there's always, like, there's, like... You, like, if there's an overriding kind of thing in the work, like, for example, like, when I watch someone like Dahlia Pigram dance... I can see the silat in her body. I can see, um, I can also see the Yaru dancing in her body. I can see years of her dancing with other choreographers from Europe. And I, and it, it makes sense. It's like it honours all these different parts while honouring her own, I guess, story. And it's not necessarily about her heritage, but you could just see the physical practice in it. But actually you can also just see it's totally her it's like the same when I see people like maybe like even Stephanie Lake or Lillian I can see Lucy so clearly in there but and I can see her transmission but I can also see you know it's so clearly it's so clearly them too and it it is funny that kind of mode of transmission and sometimes the transmission will come out in performance and other times it's in film or I don't know it, 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 yeah those, those the the way that things are passed on and through and then what what rises in a big kind of mash that then intrinsically becomes about that person hmm. in terms of that I guess activism advocate space uh one of the things yeah. that I've been grappling with at the moment is I'm writing a program um of work for Manchester International Festival and it's about how do we have difficult conversations? It's like, how do we have, I guess, those those hard conversations? And it seems in this day and age that so many conversations around value or politics um, become so divisive very quickly and it's very hard to find any sense of middle ground from from either end of the spectrum. Um, and Dance I, is really good. I, yeah, and so how how does how can we have those difficult conversations, I guess, and what's your view on kind of bridging that gap and finding that, that space where we can um, dialogue? Have a conversation. Yeah. Well, I think you... I also think that it's like 
it's having it's having I guess a disagreeance or or being clear on what you're disagreeing on. I also think it's I mean now I feel like I'm going to go into something that's kind of cliche, but it's continuing to have the conversation on either side. It's keeping the like like the dialogue happening. Uh, how can we have critical conversations? Sometimes it's like disengaging or going through the back door in order to have the conversation, which sometimes I feel like I do that in in. I mean, I'm now talking from my own experience, but I definitely have had times when I've been talking about rallies or protests or, you know, acknowledging country and I've had people roll their eyes and then I've had to ask them why and to explain why they did that and da-da-da-da-da. And actually it's been to make an example of somebody is to have a conversation with people, you know, and, and that's been a tool. It's not a tool that I want to use all the time because I'm not a fucking martyr, but... Uh, I think that's a way of having conversation. Um, I think I think that sometimes it's also really difficult to have a critical conversation because sometimes you go into it denying the fact that you might be emotional about something and as soon as you get emotional, it's like you can't talk about it anymore, but I think that we can't deny those, like it's, it's 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 maybe leaving space for the fact that our critical conversations will also be emotional um and yeah i i think dance is one of the great ways that we can have those conversations because i mean especially in maybe it's in like the unknowing things or like the interpretation maybe i would i i might be reaching here uh yeah, but it's like there's, there is there is something about sharing something with somebody or about teaching somebody something that allows space for a conversation that you might not normally have, you know, about sharing a skill with somebody or sharing about learning something from somebody that might allow the space to have a really critical conversation with somebody. I think kind of art spaces do provide that platform as well where you can present a set of ideas without it becoming it creates a space, I guess, for having, having some of those conversations or for um, encountering different ideas and different perspectives in a way that doesn't feel confrontational or that doesn't directly attack your values or, you know, and then maybe things shift in that way or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I also think that like in art spaces, you know, sometimes, uh, there is, you know, there is a tendency to think we are the belly button of our universe, you know, or the universe. Well, the art space can think that it is the belly button of the universe and that the conversations should revolve around that. But um, I think we're, we're also conscious. We're trying to be more conscious of that too. Uh, but, um, yeah. I was wondering, what are you working on at the moment and what's 2019 have in store for you? Uh, well, it's all, it's all very new. I, I, well, actually it's new and old. So, um, I, I premiered where I was, I'm part of a dance company called Marigeku. So we premiered La Denier Appel at Carriage Works last year, which then went to tour to New Caledonia, which is, a, I guess, a 
conversation at a dance theatre work choreographed by Serge Ami Koulibaly and Rachel Swain and Dahlia Pigram, which is, I guess, broadly about the impossibilities and possibilities of colonisation or decolonisation, but more maybe on a micro level. It was kind of took the uh, referendum that was happening in New Caledonia as a point of departure. So voting as to whether to separate from their coloniser or from France. They voted no in the end, but it was very tight. So that election happened last year. And so that work will be touring um, through, that'll do Dance Massive. We recently returned from a European tour um, in December uh, from France and Brussels. We did a lot of stuff in Bruges. And then... um, we will also go to, I think, Switzerland and Germany and a few other European places. And then also to a call to dance touring. And uh, there's some exciting stuff. Well, there's another project that I can't talk about that's happening at the end of the year in Sydney. And that'll be cool. I'm premiering a new work that was commissioned by the Art Gallery of New South Wales called The Tender, uh, which will premiere the end of March. So in the Art Gallery of New South Wales as part of the National. Um, really excited about that, working with some great performers. And then um, wanting to make a new work, been thinking a lot about Barangaroo and the fact that there's a shopping centre called Barangaroo and the story of Barangaroo and shopping centres. Um, and then reworking on the passing, potentially working on a musical with... Um, Belvoir and Sydney Theatre Company doing some choreography for that, which will be, which is about teenage fandom, which will be great. Um, and um, wanting to also to really interested in choreographing gestures in holo- holograms, non-holographic um, paper for a show coming up um, later in the year. Yeah, not much really for the whole year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting married, married too. too. Oh wow! Married. Yeah, it is a big year. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 uh, I'm excited. I, I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to the fact that I'm being sustainable with works that I have made or projects that I've been in that I get to do them again and get to like reperform them and really, I, I feel like that's such a. Um, that's so amazing to be able to make something and to be able to make it and to, for it to be able to, you know, tour again and again, especially with something like Call to Dance, which really changes so drastically depending on the place. Um, so I, I'm really grateful to be able to be sustainable in that way with my practice as a maker and also to, to be able to dance for others. That's so nice as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So... Well, thank you so much for delving. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening and for your ongoing support over 2019. This project is a gift for all you dance lovers out there. You'll find a list of episode notes and links on the website delvingintodance.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, follow on Twitter and on Facebook. We acknowledge the support of you, the listeners, for all your contributions to ensure that this project continues. We also acknowledge the support of the Victorian Government through Creative Victoria. Until next time, take care.